Welcome to another episode of the official podcast of The Unsexy Startup with your host, Samai Parikh. This is the platform that unites founders and talks about what it truly takes to build a company, not just the highlights. And a huge thanks to Raj Singh and Jeff Hurts for helping me put this podcast together. If this is your first time listening, The Unsexy Startup was created for aspiring and current entrepreneurs. We focus on sharing stories of successful founders and how they overcame the growing and unsexy pains of an early stage company. The bigger goal is to install resilience into our audience and help them develop more grit. On this episode, we have founder and CEO of Mozzie, Shauna Tellerman on. Shauna will talk about her journey as a founder who went into the VC world and her transition back into starting Mozzie. Mozzie allows you to see inspirational designs and decor within the context of your own home and shows you your ideas for your space before you make any changes. Mozzie helps new homeowners, remodelers, and renters create ideal personalized design. Prior to Mozzie, Shauna was the founder and CEO of Wild Pockets, a company incubated out of Carnegie Mellon University, which focused on online 3D games and in turn was acquired by Autodesk. Following her first exit, Shauna eventually transitioned into GV as a partner, only to burn the ships and start Mozzie. Mozzie is currently in their Series B and continuing to scale. Shauna, it's been a crazy, it's been crazy busy for you. So thank you for say, taking some time to come on the podcast. Of course, yeah, happy to be here. So let's dive right into the question, Shauna. You have a great trajectory as a founder and a VC. What made you want to make the transition from GV to Mozzie? It's a great question. I actually left Autodesk thinking I was going to start a company right away. So um, I had this sort of, you know, wild first journey, didn't know what I was doing in many ways. And, uh, and we ended up acquired by Autodesk. And within a year, I sort of found myself itching to get back to that startup scene and to try it again. And uh, so I left Autodesk planning to start a company right away. And so GV was kind of the unexpected turn. Um, when they reached out and we started talking about a, an investment role, I felt like this would be a really amazing opportunity to get a view from the other side of the table uh, that would be useful when I go start my next company. So it was sort of always in my mind that I would start a company again. Speaking of um, Wild Pockets, which was acquired by Autodesk, what were some of the unsexiest times that were that translated into some of the successes that you have now with your current venture? Oh, gosh, there were so many. <laughs> um, I think the first and, and foremost learning, which it never stops, by the way, is really about people. And so it was my first time I was right out of school. It was my first time working on a real team. Um, definitely my first time managing people. And the first learnings for me were really in what does it mean to be in charge? How do you have a relationship as a manager with your direct report? What, are, what is your team trying to get out of this experience? And where is their, where is their career path leading them? And so I, I found that sort of the most unsexy pieces of this for me were really um, learning, learning the, the people side of creating a business and, uh, and figuring out how do you balance motivating a team, um, you know, sort of keeping people happy and keeping people uh, seeing the big picture and motivated day to day when you're going through times that often feel like a slog. Uh, so they would be married with tough times financially or tough times with a product. And, 
And those things all put together don't make it easy to come into work every day. So that was that was probably the number one. And it and by the way, it doesn't go away. It's the, it's the same thing at Modsy. And and speaking of that, like as you were saying before, you were getting the itch to start another company. Um, usually, the first time, every time, beats the hell out of you. What? How do you? How did did you create that enthusiasm to go at it the second time and be like, you know what? I got this itch, regardless of it being unsexy. I think that's what's so addictive about startups. Really, it's the highs are so high, and yes, the lows are really low, and so. You, you know, you say kind of like, it, you know, it beats you down. Um, yes, when, when I ended, uh, ended up at Autodesk and, you know, and we formally moved from being tiny startup to part of large corporation, there was definitely this period of like, ah, this weight has been lifted and, you know, I'm, I'm not responsible for payroll every week. And, um, and I don't have that sort of sense of like, will, I, will this business be here in a year? And so there was a lot of weights relieved. Um, but I found myself within a year missing the other part of it, which was I come into work every day and feel like the work I'm doing makes a huge impact. And the problem that's sitting in front of me, it can be solved today. And you don't get that feeling in most jobs. In, you know, in most jobs, there's, there are a lot of people to influence and there's hierarchy and there's sort of, um, you know, there's sort of slower momentum. And that speed and that ability to impact and that ability to kind of influence change and solve problems. That was what I thrive on. And that's what I missed. And that, that feeling of just like really being in it, uh, there's, there's nothing like it. And so I, it was no problem. In fact, I was dying to go back to doing that again when I, when I started thinking about Monty. And And speaking about being your transition into VC before you, you really understood that, you know, being a founder helped you create a lot more impact towards society when you were in the VC world, what were some of the common challenges you've seen founders experience from like a VC standpoint? Yeah, I, I think it's 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 really hard. It's really hard to start a company. It's really hard to run a company. And so the problems exist at every level. The, the first common problem is, have you, have you actually created something that a consumer needs? Like, is there a market for your product? Is there a large enough market for your product? Have you gained enough traction to make it a relevant product? Uh, that is, you know, that's a fundamental. And if you, you sort of don't get past that hurdle, then your company probably isn't going to make it. Um, other very common problems are uh, people dynamics. As I mentioned, it is really tough. You know, you're in uh, the most unideal situation for people to be at their best, right? They're working long hours, there's high stress, there's uncertainty, there's, um, you know, decisions to be made every day. And, that's going to, you know, that's going to bring out characteristics in people and in teams that are less than ideal. And so you just constantly have to be monitoring that and, and uh, reshaping the culture and the enthusiasm and the goals and the motivation to make sure that you, you keep the energy up and that you keep the reason to believe alive. Um, and so lots of teams, they crumble because of that. They just, they, you know, they bring the wrong person onto the team or, um, you know, at some point you just, you sort of can't handle that pressure. Uh, those are, those are some two of, of many <laughs> problems that I would see frequently. And so you're saying it's a lot of like personnel issues. It could be the people that are actually running the ship, um, instead of the product. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, yes, finding product market fit is important and yes, being really smart is important, but at the end of the day, people are the, are the true presence behind any company. And if you have the wrong dynamic of people, 
if you have hired poorly, if you build a poor culture, that's going to crumble a company before almost anything else. And and what was, you know, going back to Modzi, what was a recent highlight you had that couldn't have happened without experience, like a really unsexy challenge within your first company and then some of your experiences that accumulated at GV? Yeah, I think, um, well, maybe I'll talk about two different things, one in Modzi and, and one that's related from Wild Pockets to Modzi. I think the, the hardest thing in, in my first company was getting beyond the technology. I was so excited coming out of Carnegie Mellon in 3D graphics. We were working on VR very, very early. I was so excited about the space I was in and the kinds of uh, technological innovations we could create that I spent way too little time thinking about who was our end user, what problem were we solving, and was there a real business model around this? And uh, and so we did create some amazing technology and you know, thankfully, the cloud became kind of a big thing right about at the time that we ended up acquired by Autodesk. But, um, but you know, we never really totally figured out our business model. And that was tough. And so to have that kind of constant soul searching of, you know, where, where does this product belong and who's going to use it? And does it, you know, does it have any real end benefit? That massively influenced how I thought about Modzi. I, I, in fact, started the company because of the consumer problem first and foremost and I had an idea for what technology and capabilities and components could add to it. But, um, but we've strung together quite a number of technologies and are always flexible around the technologies. It's really the end consumer experience that matters in solving our end customer's problem first and foremost. Speaking of an end consumer experience, do you feel it, and of course, this is your second venture you under, and you're getting it more now, but do you feel like a lot of seed stage founders need to have it completely figured out at the start, or is that just you know wasting their time and they should go off to the races and have it sort of figured out and kind of refine as they go? I think you're always going to be figuring it out. I do think the important piece to kind of consider and maybe really, really dig deep and reflect on is, are you solving a problem that is a real problem? And so there's a, there are a lot of companies out there that create a, a solution to something that is a nice to have. And the end consumer maybe wants to do it. Maybe they don't want to do it. Um, that's, it's much harder to solve a problem like that because you're going to convince somebody to change their behavior or you're trying to convince somebody to do something they don't necessarily need to do. And, uh, and that's, you know, there are a lot of consumer facing products and solutions that fit in that category, that is going to be much harder. And so unless you have um, validated that there is an addictive consumer behavior driving the pattern and driving um, your product idea, then I would say that, you know, that path is probably one you want to avoid. Um, just like figuring it out as you go, you probably want the validation first. On the other hand, if there is a true need, like there is a you know, we found this with buying furniture for the home. There's like a missing, giant missing gap of trying to imagine how things look in your home. Um, but if you can find a true consumer need where there is no solution out there, you talk to consumer after consumer who says, oh my gosh, I, yeah, if there was a solution for X, I would use it. And that is a daily problem for me, or that is a major problem at certain points in my life. And I, you know, I am looking for a solution then I think you have more opportunity to figure it out because now you know your consumer, you know your problem, 
And you're going to go out there and you're going to iterate until you really land on the right solution. And I think that is a much more straightforward path for an early stage seed founder. And it, it seems like that takes a lot of patience to do, um, especially because I see a lot of founders now trying to scale super fast and some of them can slip along the way. I loved how your approach was like figuring it out first before mm-hmm. you go full on with it. Um, and, and of course, this is a this is a marathon. And I think a lot of resilience is involved in it. Um, how important is resilience for founders? I mean, if all fails, do you believe this is one thing that determines Absolutely. the success of a founder? Uh, you can't you can't give up. <laughs> if, you, if you give up along the way, your company's dead, right? And, um, and you will wake up many, many days thinking everything is broken. And it, it's only that resilience that you have to lean on. And so I think it's a, it's like a mandatory trait to have this ability to kind of dig deep and to find the hope and to believe that you're going to get through it, even when it feels like there is no path forward. And that, you know, that allows people to get over major obstacles. It also allows them, you know, there's, there's many cases where people, you're going to have many failures as well, complete failures. And that allows you to wake up the day after the failure and say, okay, what am I doing next? And that resilience, I think, across your entire career is going to be incredibly, incredibly important skill. I mean, speaking about that, you know, going a little bit off the beaten path, um, what, what is a time you can think of right now that you feel comfortable sharing where it was really bad and you were like, it just gave you some like burst of resilience or like it just helped you develop this grit and you look back at that moment and you're like, man, like this is what really pushed it. And like, what was that feeling you got after overcoming that obstacle? I've had that so many times. So I'll tell you one story, but trust me, I like, you know, I've I've hit that point many, 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 many times. Um, We, we here, like the the product that we've built and the solution we've built at Modsy is really complex and the um, tools and technology behind the scenes are pretty complex. And so we were about three months out from the point we wanted to launch and the tools and the operational pipeline we had put in place was just absolutely not working. <laughs> it was, we, we were trying to get to a certain level of weekly output, and we were like, we were like orders of magnitude away from that level of output to just be able to support kind of a baseline business. And it was because the tools were failing, the po- process was failing, the people weren't communicating. It was just, it felt like complete meltdown. And every week we'd be like, here's the goal. And then we'd come in so far under the goal that it was disheartening to everybody as well. And it was kind of almost like a, you know, felt like a joke. It's like, we're like marching towards a cliff. Um, And so this, this complete meltdown basically was happening also, by the way, while I I went on my honeymoon. (laughs) So I hear I'm like leaving and trying to yeah, have this like crazy amazing point in my life where I go to New Zealand with my new husband and um, and I'm checking in with the team and it's just getting worse and worse. And so I'm like stressing about this. And I came back and it was like, okay, team, like, <laughs> this is like nothing here is working right now. And thankfully we had an, an amazing advisor who, um, who ca- came in and, and helped us sort of like break it all down. And so what we did was everything was breaking. We wrote it all on a giant board. We like went through all the problems. We stack ranked them. And then what we did was pick out the two we were going to solve this week. And then we went after those two. And we set up a like on Thursday, we got together and we did a retrospective with everybody involved. And everybody went through 
you know, what were the biggest issues? What worked this week? And then we made it casual. We had drinks and we did that week over week over week. And it like, it started by like feeling like very small progress, like almost none. And then suddenly a month in, it felt like, wow, like things are starting to move. Like the metrics are going the right way. And and by the way, the team is kind of having fun because this retro is kind of fun. And now communication is opening up and we're starting to get those little successes and those little wins. And that just sort of snowballed for us. And, um, and we overcame it. I mean, we ended up hitting and beating the place that we wanted to be in time for our launch and, you know, and then have only progressed since then. And so we kind of look back at that time and, and we know now we have the muscle to tackle any issue. We just have to break it down and make it bite size. It just, it, it seems like it just builds that. I can hear it in the tone too, right? Like it, it helps you build that confidence. And like the next time, like the, the shittiest thing comes along, it's like, I'm going to take it exactly. on. Like, and also not, and like not back get away. overwhelmed. I think that's the, the natural reaction is like, oh my God, so many problems. I can't get out of this. Instead, you, you can take a different approach, which is really, I, you know, I'm going to take two problems and solve them this week. And and I'm sure the founders that are listening right now are really soaking in some really key information right now. But this is something I ask all the founders that come on my podcast. I mean, what is the one thing you could tell your younger self starting your first company from what you know now and why? And it could be from anything inside and outside of the startup world, but just something you've learned in life or experience. You know, my, my mantra now, self. and it's actually my grandmother used to say this to me, is uh, this too shall pass. <laughs> and so I think... My advice to my younger self would have been, don't get so stressed and hung up in the what's happening right now. Um, the, the perspective that you get after a decade of doing startups is that even at those worst moments and even with the thing that just feels like, oh my gosh, this is taking over my mind at the moment, in a month, two months, or a year, you're barely going to remember that problem. And so that like... In that moment, that's what I tell myself is like, this too shall pass. And in three months, I'll be thinking of something different. Thank Shana, you, thank you yeah, so much for hopping on the podcast. I would like to take a moment to thank our sponsors, Go Moment, Quake Capital, Galvanize, and Startup Boost for helping me put this podcast together. This is the start to another season of resilient founders that have taken the time to share their trials and tribulations, all for the goal of helping other founders. If you feel this podcast helped you or you feel we could change something about the podcast, I'll leave my email in the description below. We'd love to hear your feedback so we can build something more meaningful for our founders and listeners. Until next episode, this is Samai Parikh signing out.